Hey Cole, have you ever had the need to find the most extreme haunted house you can? Honestly, that's what I wanted our honeymoon to be. Well, then you're going to enjoy hearing all about a group of stupid people with the exact same idea in the 2014 movie The House is October Built. October is a month. <laughs> Intro music. <laughs> do, 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 Welcome to Second to Die, a horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And (laughs) this week we are talking about, well, I am talking about a 2014 movie titled The House's October Build. So this movie is... So wait, hold on. Mm -hmm. Is October like... That sounds like a manic pixie dream girl name. Is she going to change my life? <laughs> Is she going to change my life with a single song? It's not that kind of a situation. It actually, to be honest, the title is one of the better things about this movie. And before I get off, because there are some people who are super into this movie. So let me just nip this in the bud and say, I did not hate, hate this movie. So I'm not going to like be super scathing about it. So if you're one of those people who thinks that this movie is like the greatest thing ever, that's fine. You don't have to turn this off. This movie is not the greatest thing ever. But you can think that. It You're just wrong. <laughs> so this movie is a found footage film. Okay. I have mixed feelings about found footage films because I remember the first found footage film I ever saw was The Blair Witch Project. Never seen it. um, Of course you haven't. It's good. I don't know if it's the first found footage film ever made, but it was, as far as I can remember, the most popular and the most hyped. And it was also one of the times, or one of the first times, that they used this whole social media marketing craziness with a film. It's kind of like... You know how we were just watching on Cursed Films about The Exorcist and how there was that urban legend about it and stuff? Yeah. And how they used that to sort of fuel interest in the film. Well, Blair Witch Project basically purposefully created like all this online hype and social media to make it seem real. Mm-hmm. And then it was like one of the first big found footage films. And so I remember, to be honest, when I was growing up and and when it came out, there was... At first, legitimate speculation about whether this movie was supposedly real. Interesting. Because it was, like, rumored. Obviously, people realized it wasn't pretty quickly, but still. Fun fact about the Blair Witch Project that I know, even though I haven't seen it, the director gave the actors less and less food. First of all, it was recorded over the course of one week. And he gave them less and less food as it went on so that there would be more just kind of naturally short-tempered behavior. Well, that wouldn't have worked with you because you would have just killed everyone else. It would have been a slasher flick real fast. The Well, and to me, I do know some things about the Blair Witch Project. Also that, for instance, there was no script. Everything was kind of ad-libbed. And then they had a lot of the things that happened in that movie were sort of spontaneous. Yeah. 
This episode is not about the Blair Witch Project. It's just yeah, stuff we I should know. probably stop. Back to uh, the houses that the Manic Pixie Dream Girl built. So, okay, the reason, first of all, that I'll say, the reason it's called the House October Built, it's about haunted house attractions like the kind that they build during Halloween season to get people to come visit them. They're not actual haunted houses. Yeah. And so it's basically all of these things that come up only not, I guess, the month of October. I don't know when that season starts, to be honest. But that's why it's called The House is October Built. And the premise of it is essentially this group of people that decide that they're going to go on this sort of, it's not really cross-country. They only go to like two or three different states. But they're trying to find the most sort of uh, extreme, intense haunted houses to visit. Why do they want to do this? I don't know. but Because we all make choices. I mean, I guess I could see that being kind of fun. I used to go to haunted houses every year. We have here the big one. Well, we have two. We have House of Shock and the Mortuary. I used to go to House of Shock. My issue with haunted houses like this is what it ended up turning into was essentially you stood in line for like 3,000 years and then you finally get into it, but there were so many people that literally it was like a single file line where you could reach out and touch the person in front of you. Like that's how close the person before you was. And the person behind you was that close too. And they just shuffled everybody as quickly as possible in this single file line through this house. So the creep factor is a little reduced when you've got like tons of people all around you. I could see that. I've only been to one. And it wasn't actually very scary, except there was one where a guy had like really thin strings hanging off of his fingers and he came up behind me and draped them over my face and it felt like spider webs. And I almost elbowed him because I don't like spiders. Yeah. Also, I remember that they always would do a lot of stuff with like black lights. And to me, I'm like, black lights aren't scary. Like having creepy stuff and low-budget Halloween decorations in a blacklight room, that's not scary to me. That was basically my room growing up. God, of course it was. So, I don't know. I think, and, and I'll say this too, because in this movie, when they go to the haunted houses, and they go to real haunted houses in this movie, they are usually by themselves, like just kind of wandering through these haunted houses Sort of as like a group, almost as if you you get the impression that it's just them in these houses. That is never how it is in these haunted houses. And if they were like that, I would absolutely go to them. Yeah. And maybe part of the point is that they go to kind of these small town ones. And that would be a little bit more interesting. And maybe in some of those smaller ones, it is a little bit more like that. But I mean, here... Everyone from everywhere around comes to these. And no joke, I mean, House of Shock... It is like going to a concert. I mean, they have to get out like the little barriers to have the line snake around. Like it is a ton of people. Yeah. No, thank you. Firm pass. The real haunted house is having to be around that many people. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, so you sit in line and then they come like people like walk up and try to sell you like Jaeger shots for like six dollars a shot and like really dumb stuff like that. Oh, God. I mean, I love Jaeger, but no, my shock wasn't at Jaeger was at the price. Yeah. So anyway, so I kind of stopped going to them. I actually haven't been to the mortuary. I don't know if it's the same thing, but it sort of turned me off a little bit. And I kind of wish that haunted houses would be more like they were in this movie because they'd be a little bit more interesting. 
but not like the last one. And I'll tell you about that. So without further ado, I'm going to get into the houses that October built and start talking about this. Yay. (laughs) Okay. So like I said, it came out in 2014. It was directed by a guy named Bobby Rowe, produced by Zach Andrews and Steven Schneider. Both Bobby Rowe and Zach Andrews appear in this film as two of the main characters. So they're like actor-director, star and direct. Yeah, basically. Okay. Kind of seemed like it was like their project, and so they're in it as well. They also play characters that have their exact same first names. I mean, that makes it easy, I guess. Yeah. None of the characters in this movie have last names at all. Which is fine, because I don't care about them. I don't know. <laughs> um. Anyway, so there's a character, Brandy. She's pl- Oh, all of these characters that are the regular people have the exact same name as the actors. I Maybe that just made it easier. The character of Brandy is played by Brandy Schaefer. As I said, Zach Andrews plays Zach. Bobby Rowe plays Bobby. His brother, Mikey, plays the character Mikey. I don't know if they're brothers in the film or not, but they are in real life. Then the character of Jeff is played by a guy named Jeff. His last name is Larson. And then, real quick, there is the character Porcelain. Who... Please, please tell me the actor is actually named Porcelain. <laughs> no. It's uh, actually, weirdly enough, there's two actresses listed. So I'm assuming maybe it was just played by two different people. I don't know why that is, other than they do change locations. And it almost seems like maybe at the first location... In the first town, they had maybe an extra or just somebody playing porcelain. And then when they moved, somebody else had to play it. But Chloe Charlotte, one name hyphenated, Alexandra Crampton is the first actress. Chloe Charlotte, Alexandra Hampton. Crampton. Crampton. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then signing paperwork must be a bitch for her. (laughs) Maybe she goes by Cece. Uh, And then the second... Actress is Angelica Lee Van Horn. She's the other person. Then there's not a lot of people, so I'll just give them all their props. Carl Bryce plays the head clown. Donald Dantzler plays the campfire man. Ian Roberts plays one of the monsters. I'll get to him when it happens. This is just getting like more sinister as you go. It's like <laughs> the clown, the yeah. campfire man. Yeah, there's not really a lot of people. That's why I just kind of mentioned most of them. So that's that. Porcelain, which sounds like a really pale stripper. (laughs) Yeah, please welcome to the stage, Porcelain. Anyways, so the movie opens up with a quote by Walter John Williams, which is, I'm not afraid of werewolves or vampires or haunted houses. I'm afraid of what human beings do to other real human beings. Girl, same. That quote is truth. Anyway. So the movie opens up with some info on haunted houses. Basically, it's real life stories about, honestly, about tragedies that happen, sort of real deaths that happen at haunted houses and some things like that. I'm not sure why that was like that, other than it gives this kind of documentary type feel, which truthfully is what sets this apart from a lot of other found footage films, is there is this sort of documentary type aspect to it, which was Honestly, like one of the most enjoyable parts of this movie is seeing all this haunted house documentary stuff. I wish they had done more because about two thirds of the way in, they kind of stopped doing it and I kind of missed it. It was interesting. Like they they go to real haunted houses and they interview real haunt actors and just talk a little bit about their lives, what they do. And it's kind of cool. Like 
I there might be this may exist and if it does exist email me about it because I'll watch it I would totally watch a movie just documenting these haunt actors in these haunted houses yeah that sounds really cool I'd watch that too so then the movie opens up with a scene from the end of the movie and you know how I feel about that you hate it I hate it we both hate it I just don't I feel like the reason that they do this is to make us be like, oh my gosh, how did we get here? I can't wait to see. But I'm already choosing to watch your movie. I want to see the ending. You don't have to do some gimmick to make me see it. Also, it's a found footage film. So it makes no sense because you're basically showing me found footage from the end in the beginning, which clearly means somebody edited this footage. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I totally get it. And it just kind of annoys me. And I feel like this is so prevalent, especially in horror films. I mean, they don't have rom-coms where it opens up with the marriage scene. And then they're like, flashback, are these two going to get together? Well, we just fucking told you they were. Well, sometimes they do. Yeah, and bad ones. Is there a good rom-com? Um... I don't know. Is Nightmare on Elm Street 2 a rom-com? <laughs> you know, because it's like Freddy and... Gay? Gay, yeah. Anyways, okay, so then it flashes back, obviously. It's not that far back. It's like five days. This movie takes place over the course of literally less than a week. Well, five days, to be exact. So all these characters, they're in a bar. They're planning this haunted house trip. They're playing beer pong because I don't, I don't know. I guess that's something people like to do. You know, like I understand drinking games, but I'll say this. At some point, it's like I don't need a game to drink. In fact, I probably at some point need a game not to drink. It's called being an adult and people should learn how to do it. My existential dread is plenty motivation enough. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was, like, really young, and so alcohol, I guess, like, didn't taste good. So it's like you needed these drinks to be like, oh, take a shot, take a shot. But now it's like, whiskey tastes good. You don't have to, like, tell me twice to take a shot of this whiskey. If anything, you need to be like, how many absents are you going to have today, Cole? I, You know what? (laughs) I usually don't have more than one. (laughs) I know. So it's like, I don't know, drinking games. And... Beer pong, beer pong is not a thing of our culture. I'll just leave it at that. So then the movie starts doing this countdown where it's like days till Halloween. And it starts with five. So the first day is basically the, the people are like on the road. They're in this. They rented out this big RV. So they have like this RV and they're kind of like. Well, OK, hold on before you keep going. How many people are in the main group? Five. Absolutely not. (laughs) I can't think of four other people that I would like to be in an RV with for five days. Uh, Yeah, I can't really either. And I certainly would not want to be in an RV with these people. Ooh, tell me. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, here's the thing. I think people that like this movie when they watch it think these people are great. I can assure you that never in a thousand years would I be friends with these people. They are just all so heinous to me i don't know There's, tell me why they're all like super broy and like i don't know they there's something about them where they make these really dumb jokes all the time with each other everyone is just like there's it's four guys and one girl and all the guys 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the guys are kind of like the same to me. Like they're just like, I I don't know. I can't even describe it. If you're like these people, I really do apologize. But it's just these people that you know what it is. It really these type of people remind me a lot of when I used to bartend on Bourbon Street, and you would get a lot of like the drunk people coming in from like a bachelor party or something like that. Ooh boy. And just like the way that they would act. The extreme annoyance of unwarranted confidence. That's how I will say it. Unwarranted confidence. Yes. So basically, okay. So the first day they go to their first haunted house. They see the character of Porcelain who really is this girl. She's wearing this like tattered doll outfit and her face mask. It's actually the cover of this movie is essentially this like porcelain doll mask with like stringy hair and stuff like that. Okay. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, masks like that freak me out. So she, yeah, she's the cover of this. If you, when you see the mask at this point, people who know of this movie will immediately recognize her from the cover. She's kind of like, I can't really think of another example, but because of what it looks like, it's just very recognizable. And so when you see this mask, it's the, the porcelain doll mask. People immediately think, okay, the house is October build. It's, you know what? It's just like when you see the mask from the strangers and you know immediately that those are the characters from the strangers. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> okay. So, so they're in their first haunted house. They get kicked out of the haunted house. Why do they get kicked out of the haunted house? Because they decide to go behind it and climb on the roof like, assholes like i mean i seriously cannot stress how much i would not be friends with these people like they climb on the haunted house take out like a, a mega speaker and are like yelling at the crowd and i think he says i can't remember the line i should have written written it down but it was like i'm king of halloween or something like that like these people are not cool but yeah again i apologize if you watch this movie and you're like oh man these people look like they're just loving life and they look like they'd be the most fun in the world that's great. Everybody needs to find somebody, but I am not the one. <laughs> okay, so anyways, they get kicked out, so they leave. The next day, there's four days till Halloween. There's more bonding on the bus. <laughs> I'm laughing because I literally am like glanced out of my notes, and I just wrote, these people continue to seem awful. And that's like it. <laughs> God. Um... I will say they eat these hostess powdered donuts, the ones that look like they're like completely covered in sand and just like soak all the moisture out of your mouth and Oreos, which, you know, I think are literally from the devil. Oh, my God. Which is one of the craziest things I think you've ever said. I mean, who is eating these dry ass snack cakes? I don't get it. Like those. I don't like snacks that dry your mouth out. That's it. Like I like. The flavor of Oreos, like I can do cookies and cream, but the texture of Oreos is gross. I don't know. It's so over there. I'm going to say this right now. Controversial statement. They are the most overrated cookie in existence. But Cole likes them. So if you like Oreos, keep listening. So <laughs> If you like Oreos, you and I will be friends. We'll eat a pack together. So then they go to do this thing, which I... No jokes seriously want to do. They go to zombie paintballing. Let me tell you what zombie paintballing is. And this, I think, is a real thing. So much of this movie is, like, documentary style. They basically take you on, you know, like a tractor pull, like a hayride tractor pull. 
They go on one of those and they pull you through this like fake town with people dressed up as zombies and you get paintballs and you get to shoot as them as they kind of like run at you. Okay, that sounds like fun. I was literally like, this looks fucking cool. Like, I want to do this so bad. And then as they're leaving, they see porcelain, which is weird because they're not by the first haunted house. So that's like the first kind of sign that something's weird. So they stop the RV they open the door and the guy goes out to check on her. She follows him inside without him inviting her in, sits down, says nothing. And they're like, are you okay? Is there anywhere we can take you? And so they're all kind of like worried for her. And then out of nowhere, she just goes and lets out this scream. Like, <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Nope. I will throw you out of a moving vehicle. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, she's you got you got to go, girl. You got to go. Need to go. And then she stands up and walks out of the RV. And that's it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. Keep going. Okay. So then it's the next day. Day three. And this, I'm not describing every scene in this movie. I'm just kind of like going over what I think are some of the kind of cool parts. There are more things that happen on some of these days. So day three, they start talking about these rumors of an extreme haunt called the Blue Skeleton. It is what it is. They end up at this super small town's haunted house. It's like a really, really small town. And Zach has to go take a piss. So... He's like, the lines are too long. And someone goes, well, why why are you waiting for lines? We're like literally in the middle of the country. Go pee in the woods. Which is fine. And so he goes to go pee and apparently films it because this is a found footage film and everything has to be filmed, even though it makes no sense to do that. And so he's like peeing. But then the scene was so great. You would actually love this scene. So he sees this crazy ass guy in a bunny costume that's kind of like. It's no, like, <laughs> no, we're already done here. He's kind of like a, it's, it's like a bunny costume, kind of like my unicorn onesie, except it's like all bloody and the mask, there's a mask to it. So it's like a bloody bunny mask. So that's a really good way to go from peeing to shitting yourself. Yeah. So of course he doesn't pee and the bunny's holding an ax. And so, and Zach is like, what are you doing, man? And the bunny starts to come closer to him. And he starts to like literally freak out and start running. And the bunny starts chasing him. And then Zach falls down. And the bunny comes up to him with this axe. And Zach is like freaking out and like, leave me alone, leave me alone. And the bunny like raises the axe like he's going to actually like chop him. And then stops. And then makes like the little bunny eating noise. And cocks his head and goes. And then hops away. <laughs> The look on your face is so good right now. Oh, uh-uh. Mm-mm. But do you want to know the best part? Wait, there's more? Well, this. When I looked up that character to see what that character was and who played him, that character's name is the Feaster Bunny. So good. It's so good. So then, okay, so then they're back at the small town and they do some more documentary stuff. And I just want to get give shout outs to this one guy because he had, this is actually in the trailer to the movie, which makes sense because it's really funny. One of the actors, the haunt actors who is a clown is kind of talking in this kind of high voice. 
and he's like, what's the camera for? You guys doing crime stompers or cops or something? And they go, um, we're doing to catch a predator. And he goes, to catch a predator? I gotta go. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, boy. It's, it's really funny. That guy, that guy was a highlight for me of this movie. So, okay, so then they go through the haunted house. And I'll just say that whatever small town this was, that haunted house is absolutely amazing. Like, A-plus to this small town haunted house. I would 100% go through it. It was the creepiest haunted house I could ever imagine and have ever. I've never seen something like that. It's always the small town ones that you, like, every... You know how, like, every Halloween on social media you'll see, like, this is the scariest haunted house, da-da-da-da. And they'll be like, yeah, the other day we had someone shit themselves... In the middle of the haunted house. It's always fucking like small town ones. Yeah. I mean, they did something which makes sense to do. And I'd always thought like, oh, this would be such a great thing to do. But I've never actually seen something like this in a haunted house. Maybe because it's like a little too much and a little too real. But like they would have like a room where you're looking and it's these two guys. And there's a guy dressed in normal clothes, but he's kind of bloody. And he like runs towards like the like sort of like glass between you and that room. And it's like screaming for help and like screaming like. Like, help me, help me, help me. Like, this, like, I can't, I can't remember, but I think he even says, like, this is real, this is real or something. And they, like, grab him and, like, drag him away and stuff like this. It's, like, really intense stuff. Shit. There were, I mean, it was literally, like, I'm watching and I'm like, is this a real, like, is this stuff, like, really happening to them? I don't know. It was cool. I liked it. Props to that. Whatever town that was. I'm sorry. I don't remember. I don't even know if they said it, but it was good. Okay, so then the next day, it's day two to Halloween. They stop at a strip club, which looks like the coolest strip club ever because it's a strip club and the strippers are all wearing like Halloween zombie masks and stuff. And so it's like they're like full naked, big boobs, really nice ones, and zombie face. It's just a cool scene. I liked it. Side note, tip your strippers. Yes, tip your strippers and uh, sex work is totally legitimate and that's that. Okay, so then there's one more day to Halloween. So then they're on these like haunted house chat room things. And in one of the chat rooms, he sees a video uploaded. And the video is a video of them all sleeping in the RV the night before that none of them took. So this Mm -mm. is where things start to get weird. So then they go and they open the fridge up and there's a giant bloody heart. It looks too big to be a human heart. It may be a cow's heart. But still, bloody hard. So then everyone is super bummed out. But, like stupid people, they're not like, let's abandon this project. They're like, we got to go towards Baton Rouge because that's where this extreme haunt is. And, like, we got to see this thing through. Why do people always feel the need to see something through when it gets to a point where you clearly do not need to see this through anymore? Also, the traffic in Baton Rouge is scary enough. You don't need a haunted house. Yeah, the traffic is pretty bad. Actually, they do drive past Baton Rouge, and it's real Baton Rouge. They actually end up going to New Orleans at some point in this movie, and you're probably going to hear about it in about three or four minutes. So anyways, okay, so they go to this bar in Baton Rouge, and it's super creepy. It actually is kind of cool. Everybody in the bar is basically in, like, zombie makeup and costumes. And I get it. This is the day before Halloween, but it's weird because everyone's in these costumes, But it's not like there's, like, a party going on. It's just, like, I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, some scary stuff happens, but I'm just going to jump forward because this is already dragging. So, anyways, the next day, it's Halloween day, and they wake up to a big thud on the door. And what was it? Well, it was a giant pumpkin thrown at the door. 
And in the pumpkin has a note on it that says carve me. So then they carve the pumpkin, like they open it up and there is an envelope inside and it's an invitation from the blue skeleton. Interesting. Mm. Hmm. So it's a really weird way to give an invite, but effective. So the invite basically says go to Bourbon Street at 10 p.m. Doesn't say where to go on Bourbon Street. That is a big street. But I will say that the movie does address that because they literally go to Bourbon Street and walk up and down it multiple times. It is actual Bourbon Street on actual Halloween. And they're like walking up and down it trying to find somebody that looks like they're from the Loose Skeleton. They're, side note, I guess I didn't mention this. They're given, when that happens too, they find these skull masks on their, on the front of their car, their RV. And so they are looking for people that maybe are wearing these masks. Okay. Okay, so they're walking up and down Bourbon Street. They can't find anything. Finally, Jeff sees who he thinks is Mike walking down this alleyway. So he follows them. And he gets to the end of the alleyway and he sees porcelain. And then he looks behind him and the Feaster Bunny is behind him. I'll also point out at this point that I know that this is the character of Jeff because I looked it up. But I legitimately thought that it was Bobby who walked down here because I did not realize until this point in the movie, and this is over halfway through, that there was a character named Jeff at all. Because these people are all basically the same person except Mikey who has appeared. And I legitimately thought there were only four people in this movie. Oh, my God. I had to. I was like, wait, didn't Bobby just get abducted? And then I looked it up and it was like I literally had to look up a plot synopsis. And it was like Jeff goes down an alleyway and gets abducted. I was like, who's Jeff? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, boy. It's it's all the same person. They're the same person. So, OK. So basically, there's a creepy scene. Jeff ends up getting abducted. They the rest of the group calls Jeff's voicemail and it says to go to the end of this road and that this is the blue skeleton. So they go to the end of this road and there's a school bus that cuts them off. Long story short, they all end up with hoods on them and in the school bus together. Okay. So some things happen. And then what ends up happening is they kind of take them off the school bus at different times. So they all end up in this country house together, but separated. So each one of them is in this house, but they're all like separated and not together. It's pretty scary. I'm not going to describe it too much because there's not really much funny to say about it. It's definitely the most suspenseful part of the movie. I guess this is a good part to bring this up where the appeal of this movie to me and what I thought the most effective thing about it and why I enjoyed it is there is this constant suspense during this movie of is this real or is this just the haunted house yeah. like, becoming more and more extreme? And in this scene, it is the most effective part where you're like, I don't know if this is a haunted house or if these people are going to get killed. Like there's this part where there's a guy poking like a real chainsaw through a door and it's like cutting the door up and stuff. And like usually at haunted houses, they don't use real chainsaws. They use them without the chains on them. So I'm like, is he this guy got about to go get sliced up? I mean, you don't know. And that is a really well done tool. And I would yeah. give props to this movie for that. Because the whole time, and this is when they're in this house, there I remember looking, there was only like six or seven minutes left of this movie. And I still was like, what is happening? Like, what is gonna happen in this movie? But after this scene, it goes to the scene that it started with, which was Brandy kind of in this like bloody hoodie being shoved into the trunk of a car. So she does that. She ends up falling asleep. When she wakes up, she's in a pine coffin. And they shut the lid. They put her in the ground. And then she starts hearing dirt falling on the coffin. Uh, mm -mm. And you know me. I 
I'm not extreme claustrophobic, but I am claustrophobic to that extent. And there would just be no fucking way. Nope. I would lose my mind. Yeah. And she starts to. And then it flashes to Mikey. He is also in a coffin. And then it flashes to one of the other white guys. I honestly don't know which one it was. But he's also in a coffin. And so I think everyone is in a coffin. And the members of the blue skeleton are burying them alive. So... The last part, it there's a little bit to it where it has, like, a snippet from one of the interviews and stuff like that. But the last part is basically these people standing over these sort of graves with these people buried inside of them. And then the movie just cuts and ends. So, we're kind of left not knowing, were they killed? Was it all just kind of a big prank? Did something happen? Were they dug up? My thoughts were, I don't know. How am I ever going to find this out? Wait, I know exactly how I'll find it out. Because I have the internet, and this movie has a sequel. Oh, fuck. (laughs) So, did I watch the sequel? Of course not. I'm not an idiot. But I did read the synopsis of it. This movie, by the way, I'll just point that out. The reason I say that is because this movie does pretty well on things like Rotten Tomatoes and other sites. It has a good reception. I did not hate this movie. The sequel did not do well. Oh, boy. So, instead of talking about the sequel and wasting everyone's time, I'm just going to read the synopsis from it. The sequel, which is aptly named The House's October Built 2, is as follows. After being rescued from their ordeal at the hands of the blue skeleton haunted house, five friends decide to get through their post-trauma stress by facing their fears and going on another haunted house road trip. However, when they begin to see signs of the blue skeleton on their ride, they realize the nightmare they survived a year ago is far from over. I don't have words. I have a better synopsis for this movie. After we ruin the plot from the first movie by having these people survive, the same idiots are going to do the same fucking thing that nobody else would do because we decided that we wanted to make more money. That's my synopsis for part two. Sounds about right. So I guess one can only assume... Again, I didn't watch this movie. I'm not an idiot. That ultimately, they're dug out of the ground, and I guess decide to go on another fucking haunted house trip after this crazy shit happened to them, which ended up having them being buried alive. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know what happens to them in two, but whatever it is, they 100% deserve it. Yeah, it's just... uh, Stupid people. I mean, that'd be like if the Lutz family decided to move back into the Amityville house. At that point, you'd be like... Yeah, you deserve to be murdered now. Or at least heavily haunted. (laughs) I guess nobody deserves to be murdered. Let me just put that caveat. I do not mean that seriously. But yeah, they deserve to be haunted. Big time. So anyway, ultimately, final thoughts in this movie. It was good. I was definitely not upset that I watched it. It was enjoyable. I find it very difficult to do a found footage film that does keep me interested. But this one was successful. I think the documentary aspect of this made this particularly enjoyable. And I wish there were more of it. That being said, it was still good. And up until like the ending, I still was in suspense because I did not know if it was real. And I assumed that's what they were going for. So it was great. Part of me almost wishes I had not read the synopsis of the sequel to figure out that it was the same characters. Or just that there were no sequel. Because... It's not like I can lose the enjoyment because I had that enjoyment watching it, but it takes away a little bit of that lingering, well, what I wonder what happened to them aspect of it, because that 
was to me the good effect of the way that it ended. Yeah. So anyways, it's definitely worth a watch. And like I said, I've obviously described a bunch of it, but it's still worth it. I'll say that. It's not my favorite movie of all time, which I think I've said before. I know some people are like super into this movie. I don't 100% get that, but I do get the appeal of it. So yeah, that's The House's October Build, which I did totally forgot to mention this in the beginning because obviously this is the first episode that we're posting in October and I'm trying to do Halloween or October themed movies for the rest of this month. So that's that. I'm not extending the same courtesy. (laughs) And on that note, it's not a Halloween or October book, but why don't you tell me what you're going to talk about? All right. So I have another hell of a doozy for you. I like doozies. This week, I am doing The Nest by Gregory A. Douglas, which is a pseudonym for a man named Eli Cantor. So... It was originally published in 1980, and there is actually a movie that is repeatedly referenced as a cult classic that I think he says on Prime. It is. As of the time of this recording. So this book was a part of the Paperbacks from Hell series, which is a collaboration between the writers of the book, Paperbacks from Hell, which are Grady Hendrix. (laughs) Your favorite. I do love him. Uh, And Will Erickson. And they partnered with Valencourt Books to re-release a set of these, like, vintage pulp horror. I bought the whole set. The cover is simple, but it's super great. It's just a roach in the woods with the moon above it. It's just nice. I just like it. He's just a little lonely roach trying to find his family. Oh, he's not lonely. And I will (laughs) tell you why. The artist of the cover is actually currently unknown um and that's actually very common with a lot of these old like vintage horror paperbacks there's actually a note inside from the publisher asking for anyone with information about the artist to contact them so that future printings of this book can contain the credit uh kind of cool yeah grady hendrix is really passionate about the fact that in the like 70s and 80s a lot of the cover artists didn't get credit for their work. A lot of times even they would have a signature and it would be cropped out Hmm. so that it was just this like generic piece of art on the cover. That's pretty rude. Yeah, no, it's really terrible. Speaking of notes inside though, this is honestly one of my favorite parts. The dedication page has a dedication from Gregory A. Douglas. Remember, that's a pseudonym to... Eli Cantor. Himself? Yes. (laughs) Thanking him for giving him the idea. (laughs) I I like that energy. It's, oh God, it was just, it was fun. Anyway, let's do the blurb. The blurb is so good. Okay. It was just an ordinary garbage dump on peaceful Cape Cod. No one ever imagined that conditions were perfect for breeding. That it was a warm womb, fetid, moist, and with food so plentiful that everything creeping, crawling, and slithering could gorge to satiation. Then a change in poison control was made, resulting in an unforeseen mutation. 
Now giant mutant cockroaches are ready to leave their nest in search of human flesh. Okay. <laughs> mm so we already know what we're getting into right off the bat. Giant mutant cockroaches. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I can't. I'm, I'm just so excited. So excited. So I've been wanting to do a swarm animal attack book ever since the rat scene in Southern Book Club. Yes. So I was really excited about this one in particular because it was about roaches. And for anyone who is not from the South, the palmetto bug is the state bird of Louisiana. They're so gross. Not like literally, but we do have like inch and a half, two inch long cockroaches and they fly. Yeah. Our state bird is actually the pelican. We do know this. Please do not send me emails. (laughs) Please do not tell us to go back to fourth grade, (laughs) even though neither of us went to fourth grade here. Anywho, uh, so this book was like peak 80s pulp camp. It was so good. I'm so excited. I'm only going to talk very briefly about the plot because I am fully aware that what we all really want to hear is about the absolutely batshit scenes in it. Yes. So quick rundown. Basically, like the blurb says, the pesticides caused the roaches to mutate into super roaches. And we found out that it has turned them into social insects because apparently roaches are independent. Oh. But not anymore. They mutated into social insects and they have developed a termite-like social system. Fun fact, termites and roaches are very closely related. Keep that in mind next termite season when termites are getting in your house. That one's for you, Denise. Anyway, the roaches have been communicating through a process called Trophallaxis, which is when animals share food and pheromones via mouth-to-mouth. That's why, in the beginning, the mutant roaches are only attacking rats in the dump. And actually, the opening scene is rats jumping out of piles of trash covered in, and I quote, sequins of death. (laughs) Sequins of death. Do you know how hard it was for me to not read that line out loud to you when I read it because I had to save it? Is that supposed to be funny or is that like a metaphor that he's using seriously? I, I'm, I think he meant it seriously. Sequence of Death would be such a good name for like an actual like horror movie or something. Though. Or like a punk band. <laughs> Sequence of Death. A punk band of drag queens. <laughs> also, sequins are relatively small. They're not as small as glitter, the herpes of craft supplies, but they're relatively small and these roaches are not, so it didn't work for me. But once one of the roaches tastes human blood, it uses trophallaxis to communicate to the whole nest, resulting in all of them developing a taste for human blood. (sighs) Okay. It gets wilder. So once our heroes that I'm honestly like, I'm talking so little about the plot, I'm not even going to tell you about the heroes. Read the book. It's good. So once our heroes track down the nest, they find that instead of a queen, there is a literal brain in the nest. Like it looks like a human brain? Well, it's like a mound that is a brain. So it's just like this like controlling brain thing? Yes. Made of tiny roaches. Ugh. That are connected by their antenna and they form synapses. (laughs) It's also three feet by six feet. But I don't think this author has very good spatial reasoning skills. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And it communicates to the rest of the swarm via highly advanced pheromones. 
which is cool. That's fine. Roaches can't talk. There's also a second nest that branches off from the main nest, which actually does happen when like a social species of bugs nest gets too large. The reason I bring this up is because the second hive, while they are kind of like building up, they use a different kind of trophallaxis. Mouth to anus. Oh. That's right. It is roach centipede realness. Why is that necessary to put in the book? On the list of unnecessary things to put in the book, Max, this is pretty low on the list. I'll get there. This predates human centipede too. Oh, yeah, by a very long time. He was very ahead of his time. (laughs) Buckle up, peaches. It's just downhill from here. (sighs) Honestly, unless you have any other questions regarding the plot, that's actually all I'm going to say about it. Like, the plot's good, but I'm just going to talk about the crazy scenes in it because that's what's more interesting. Well, I'm assuming you'll tell me how they destroy the nest at the end. I mean, they set on fire. Yeah, Boom. that's kind of, I mean, how else Done. would you do it, right? They set on fire, like, other plot points, there is one black character. Uh, she falls in love with the only other person of color, mm. of course. Like, just super, like, just stuff like that. But I just didn't want to do, like, a blow-by-blow of the plot because this sure. would end up being, like, a two-hour episode. Yeah. So that I could talk about all the other scenes. All right, so let's get to the next scene, then. Okay, so first of all, we're going to talk about the roaches themselves. They're huge. They fly and they hiss. Okay, when you say huge, do you mean like we have huge roaches or do you mean like, full disclosure, I have seen the cover of the Nest movie and it's like a human-sized roach. No, they're not human-sized. Okay. They're like five to six inches. Which is perfectly acceptable. As long as the roach knows what it's doing, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that's still, that's a pretty big roach. Five inches is a pretty big roach. Yes. Okay. And they hiss. Do you want to know what a hissing roach sounds like? Because I'm going to play it for you. Which, by the way, I totally get that roaches are a genuine phobia for a lot of people. I'm going to play the hissing sound. And if that will trigger a phobia for you, please feel free to skip forward a few seconds here. I'm basically saying that for the friends of mine that I have told about this episode who said they wouldn't listen to it because I was playing a hissing sound. So now you know it's coming. All right. Are they mad when they make that noise? Yeah, there's like someone poking at it. It sounds real upset. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I feel like he just wants to be left alone. He does. I mean, I commiserate with his roach. (laughs) Every time my coworker comes into my office and talks to me without being prompted to. (laughs) I'm not going to name names here, but every time that happens, I feel like this roach. Oh, God. Or when the checkout girl talks to us at the grocery store. About what food we're buying. I just turn around and stare at the ground. Anyway... You're welcome for the nightmares. (laughs) So like I said, these roaches are huge. They're like four or five inches long. The ones that guard the nest are eight inches. Not internet inches, but actual inches. (laughs) But here's the thing. You know how I said this author doesn't have very good spatial reasoning? These roaches are eight inches by one inch. And you might be saying to yourself, that's not proportional. That's a very narrow roach. No, 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 no. Not one inch wide. One inch around. 
So it's like a a cigar. Wait, so how wide are they then? I are they like a cigar? Are you though? asking me to do math? Um, I think what the author means. Oh, I see what you're saying. One inch around, like okay. around the circle. But here's the thing. Like, I think the author was trying to be like, and they're a full inch around trying to be like, I think they're meant to be proportionally eight inches. I just don't think he really took the time to think through the imagery that he was portraying there because one inch around is very small. And that is literally like, just like a little narrow cigar of a bug. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that was a mistake. They also have massive jaws and the clicking of their mandibles is likened to the sound of, again, I quote here, fiendish knitting needles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fiendish knitting needles. Now let's talk about death. It's really wonderful. So first of all, it's like two full chapters and I'm going to super summarize it, but there is an entire Sunday school group of children that get devoured by these roaches. (laughs) It's like this really gory, bloody, like body parts are everywhere. There's tons of screaming. It is later described as a rapine slaughter which is really unnecessary we're talking about children what does rapine mean rape like rapey the word rapine exists akin to sexual assault of the rape variety Jeez. yeah but that's cool that is not the only time that rape is used as imagery here it is like the one thing i didn't like about this book we've come a long way since the 80s Yeah, not long enough, um, but, (laughs) you know. Anyway, so there are also these two girls on the island that are referenced. Their names are Ruth and Rebecca, and they are painted as these, like, super pure virginal girls. I'm sure you can see where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're going through the woods, and they come across rats that are running from the roaches, and the rats end up eating them. Wait, the rats eat the girls? Yes, not the roaches, just the rats. Which doesn't really make sense to me because there's, like, no other reference to the rats being man-eating at all. God, rats always get a bad name. But I have a feeling that the author just really wanted a very specific imagery in it, let me tell you. So, the rats decide to eat them. It's very out of character, but the worst part of that entire scene is the description of their, and again, I quote here, narrow, raping snouts end quote, burrowing into these girls' vaginas. I say girls, they're like late teens, still girls, still underage, still super creepy. Oh. Not that like that scene would be okay with adults, but you know what I mean. That's, oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. That's probably not okay. There's also a scene where a man wants to surprise his wife by hiding in the bushes And then as she walks by, he's going to pretend to be a rapist. I just remembered that. I will say this about this. And I was actually just reading this on a horror forum that I follow. So I don't want to have a full-blown discussion about this. But people were talking about the unnecessary use of rape scenes and rape imagery in horror movies. And I think they were doing it in context of modern horror. But I think it's been around for a very long time. And I think it's that people think it's really effective because it's like... Oh, yeah, rape is so horrific. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it needs to be there. 
It makes me think back on Curse Be the Child and like it's clear that this kind of horror, this kind of like vintage horror does like to use rape as a device to kind of like shock and terrify you. I'm getting kind of over it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think about it in the context because these books are 40 40 years years old at this point. So it's hard to be like, you guys need to stop writing these books because they're written. They exist. Yeah, and they're not written like this anymore. So at least we've made progress. For the most part, I don't know. I feel like I have to talk about sexual assault literally every single episode. I think it is an easy way to try to make something seem horrific. And it would be refreshing to see people exploring new and more creative ways and not relying on these sort of like cheap gimmicks. That's what I'll say. Anyway... Moving on to the best deaths and thankfully ones that don't make me uncomfortable with their imagery. So there are three, I'm using air quotes here, punks that come to visit the island. And this is a Cape Cod island, so they're very like stuffy New England people. Um, And these punks go down to the beach and they get high on angel dust, which is that cocaine? I don't know. I'm like the Pollyanna-ist Pollyanna when it comes to drugs. Angel dust is PCP. That makes so much more sense than cocaine. So, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so they're nude on the beach and the cops come to arrest them. And I'm going to break down each of their deaths. Okay. Uh, The first one is named Alex. He's actually like the last to die, but he's the most boring. So I'm doing it first. Um, He's the only one that gets arrested because the other two run away. Um... But basically, once Alex is released, he's eaten almost immediately after leaving the police office, whatever it's called. Station. Station. Thank you. He gets eaten almost immediately after leaving the police station. So when these roaches eat people, is it like a swarm situation? Like they swarm on you and eat you? Yes. Okay. They usually go for the eyes first. Um, And because this is a horror book from the 80s, they also go for the genitals and any available orifice. Can you, like, step on them and kill them and stuff, too? Yes, but there's usually, like, hundreds of them yeah, at a time. I'm just wondering. Okay. Like, your whole body is covered with them. Ugh. And they're, like, biting chunks out of your flesh. Like, their mandibles are strong enough to, like, grind up and then consume bone. Okay. So there's nothing left of you. But the next death I'm going to talk to you about is a man named Tony. So Tony is one of the three punks that flees, but he has been handcuffed already so he's running and he trips and he falls and he gets attacked by roaches and they go for the eyes and the dick first like you rude (laughs) and it's real gruesome and like one of the most interesting parts though is they've chewed through his eyes and they're like in his brain eating his brain and it describes like flashes of light while they're biting his optic nerves And I find myself wondering if that's actually how it would be. So if we have any neurologists who listen to this podcast while you're performing brain surgery, I don't judge. Let us know. But the best part is that the entire time that he's being eaten, he's screaming Mamma Mia over and over again. (laughs) Why? I guess because his name's Tony. And so he's like Italian. But it sounds like he's Italian the way that Lady Gaga is Italian. That being said, however, uh, because I'm me. The entire time I was reading this scene and picturing it, I was setting it to the ABBA song. 
It sounds to me, <laughs> for some reason, all I can think of is someone in like a cheesy like pasta sauce commercial being like, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. No. I do love ABBA though. I do too. And then there's Bo. Oh, Bo. You're not ready. Okay. You're not ready for this jelly. So Bo is the third punk. He also was handcuffed, also runs away. He has a few adventures that I'm not going to talk about. But he ends up falling onto a pile of leaves. And apparently, just below the surface of these leaves, it is very warm. And Bo gets an erection. Just because? Because it's his like soft penis fell under the surface of the leaves and it's warm down there. And it feels, again, here I quote, like a butter groove, end quote, which I think is supposed to be a metaphor for a vulva. Butter groove? <laughs> or vagina or whatever part. But yes, it feels like a butter groove. And he literally has the thought process of this feels good. Why not? And he starts fucking a pile of leaves. That's disgusting. The look on your face is so great. That's disgusting. Has this... <laughs> I mean, this makes no sense. This has to be a joke. I mean, it has to be. I don't know. But there's literally, like, descriptions of him just, like, humping away. It's I- like it's it's like a wapple. A wet-ass pile of leaves. I was going to say it was a walp. <laughs> a wet-ass leaf pile. <laughs> Anyway, but keep in mind, his hands are cuffed behind his back. So the author even goes further into this description to give you the imagery of him flopping around like a fish, basically, in order to hump this pile of leaves. I mean, this this is just so stupid. (laughs) I can't say anything else about it. It's just so stupid. The vibrations as he is humping, combined with the vibrations of his groans as he comes inside of this pile of leaves, attracts the roaches and they eat him. But what, so what was the leaves? It was just a pile of leaves? It was just a pile of leaves. At first, okay, so I can't remember exactly what happens, and I should have written it down in my notes, but some animal gets killed, like, right before this happens, and there was a part of me that was like, is he humping a dead animal? But, it, I mean, it, it literally is just, you're left believing that it's a pile of leaves. A warm pile of leaves that he just has the complete urge to have sex with. Exactly. This is too much. Angel dust. It's a hell of a drug. Oh, he's on PCP. Okay, this all actually has just made 100% sense in my head now. It's still really great, though. Yes. Say no more. (laughs) Say no more. PCP is involved. This makes sense. (laughs) I've never done PCP, for the record. Anyway, and actually, like, I don't know. I don't even really want to talk about more. I just want people to go read this book because it was great. Like all in all, this book was amazing. I don't really like all of the sexual assault imagery, but I feel like unfortunately that is a product of its time and you just kind of have to deal with it. That's not to say it's okay, but it's to say that like it's not unexpected. Yeah, I agree. I mean, people have varying degrees of tolerance for stuff like that. So if you're somebody who doesn't really have much of a tolerance for it, then catch the next book. But if you can withstand a little bit of, I guess, then, you know, check this one out. 
Yeah, exactly. And I didn't really talk about the plot all that much, but it is super outlandish in the best of ways. And I loved it. You saw how fast I read this book. I read it in like two days. And you actually talked a lot about how much you were enjoying it. Yes. I would give this book five out of five cigar roaches. To quote a Goodreads user named Ben in the review section for this book, a guy fucks a pile of leaves and roaches shit in each other's mouths. I'd give it 10 stars if I could. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good review. Also, I maybe talked about like a third of the deaths. There's so much death in this book. Yeah, I guess if people really want to know, they're going to have to check it out. Exactly. Okay, so that being said, with all the death in the book, if you were in this book, would you die? Surprisingly enough, despite the massive amounts of deaths, probably not. Uh, Most of the deaths happen outside, and I don't like being outside. It's pretty simple. No, I wouldn't. (laughs) At one point, they evacuate the island, and at that point, I'd be like, oh, like I would look up from my book, reading inside where it's cozy and climate controlled, and be like, oh, okay. Let me pack more books in a bag to take with me. <laughs> Would you die in the houses that Manic Pixie Dream Girl built? No. That's pretty definitive no. Because, because the people nobody, were heinous. Well, because nobody dies in that. Like, literally nobody dies. I thought somebody died at one point, and then they didn't. Also, if I were on this road trip with these people, which, again, I would never be on a road trip with these people... As soon as things started to get really weird, like the video of them sleeping, I would be done. I'd be like, no, we're just going to go. Yeah, like, I'm going home now. The thing is, is, though, it is actually kind of believable because the type of people that those people are are the exact type of people that would be like, we need to see this thing out, man. We need to see it through. We need to finish what we start. Exactly. First of all, no, you don't. Second of all, this is something called the sunken cost fallacy. You do not need to see something through just because you put so much effort into it. Be smart. It's okay to go home. It is okay to go home. And stay there. Yeah. That's a real thing that people need to be aware of. Just because you've put some effort into something doesn't mean you need to keep up with it. Okay. I know you're talking to me. It's fine. You can stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really not. But so anyways, yeah, I I wouldn't die. Nobody dies. Anyways. That being said, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Second to Die Pod. You can also find us on Goodreads under the exact same name where you can see what I'm reading next time. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns, or book slash movie suggestions at secondtodiepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and appreciate any feedback you can really offer us. Yes, please email us. We're lonely. And that being said, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.